I feel what, what has been concerning for me is there seems to be a real disconnect, um, not just here in Twin Falls, but just around the United States in general. Um, people, there just seems to be a real disconnect in communities in regards to what's happening in ICUs in hospitals around the country um, with these influx of cases. It's one of the big fears that we've been, um, that's been articulated to the population has been if we reach a certain point where there's a certain level of infections and people need to come to the ICUs that hospitals will be overloaded with patients and be unable to really even to function properly. And it seems like that, from my understanding, we've kind of come into that space more recently. Um, we have. Yeah. We absolutely have. Yeah. And that's just what I wanted to just get across to people because I feel like it's it, what's profound to me is just that that disconnect where people are seemingly going about their day-to-day lives. Um, I know there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that are taking it seriously as far as the pandemic goes, but there seems to be a lot of people that aren't and just aren't really seeing what's happening in hospitals. Um, and that that's just really my main concern right now is just trying to, I don't know if there's any way that I can get like your voice. And I've, I've interviewed two other nurses as well, uh, just to get their voices out and just be like, look, this isn't a hoax. <laughs> this isn't. Well, yeah, and it isn't. And, yeah. and, you know, people s- play off on, well, my friend had it and they weren't bad. Well, good for them. There's mm-hmm. so many young, healthy individuals that get it and do fine. Several of my coworkers have had it back to work already. Yeah. The issue lies with the people who aren't medically stable, people who have underlying conditions that they don't know that they do. And when they come to our hospital, their length of stay there is generally not a week. It's not three days. It's much longer. We've had patients there for up to 59 days Mm. in the hospital. Right. So these are beds that are being taken for longer periods. We're generally, we get in our patients, they get better, they move up and they move on. Mm -hmm. And the hardest part for, I think the community to see that is it's kind of a out of sight, out of mind job. The hospital always has patients. The hospitals always functioned. It's not like the um, population has grown, but the population of sick people absolutely has. When they get admitted to our hospital, um, we've had to end up making more ICU beds than we normally function with. Um, And those patients that are generally there for two to three days, aren't getting better. The disease is keeping them there longer. They're required much higher oxygen demands on levels that they can't move up to the other floors because um, they're so unstable. Right. At any moment, we would have to intubate them, you know? So it's yeah, it's the fact that people are staying there longer is, is the hardest part because then you still have all of the, the rest of the flow, you know, the diet, um, diabetic ketoacidosis, sepsis patients, people that need surgery, accidents, you know, there's suicide, attempted suicide. There's so much more of that in the community that we already support, but then the influx of the COVID patients on top of that really weighs it down. Right. Well, that seems to be the, you're talking about people being in the ICUs for much longer periods of time than Mm -hmm maybe the ICUs have been used to having or have been designed for, I, I guess you could say, right. or at least planned out, you know. Um, would you say that's one thing that maybe people just don't quite understand? Because I, I, I've known, now I know several people, people that have had in my family, um, friends. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned I interviewed several nurses. One of them had gotten infected as well. And 
certainly most people I would say that do get sick from it and do show symptoms tend to be sick for maybe a week or two with real symptoms. But it seems like the real issue is that a lot, a lot of people who do show symptoms actually need care for much longer periods of time than maybe most people understand. Right. And a lot of the people that end up in the ICU, um, if they're that bad that they're in our department, they have other they have other issues, obviously multiple other medical issues that they're dealing with. Um, blood sugar control. We're putting these patients on high doses of steroids to help with the inflammation in their lungs. Now we have a whole blood sugar issue going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we give them medications that help with the inflammation that knock out their body's ability to fight any other kind of bacteria and bacterial pneumonia is a, is another great example of why they have to stay with us longer. Their body's ability to fight is completely knocked out. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, we do every attempt that we can to avoid that, but you know, yeah. Disease process is disease process and we can't fix everything. Mm -hmm. Well, what is, um, I guess, what do, what do you anticipate? I mean, I, I, I expect now that we're, we just had Thanksgiving, um, you know, across the country, we've had millions of people that were traveling and, and doing exactly what actually public health officials were saying not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, I mean, I, I don't want to be overly pessimistic in this sense, but I just want to be realistic. I mean, what do you expect as far as cases? I mean, maybe, maybe the better way to say this is where are we at right now? in the hospital that you work in, in Twin Falls, as far as how many COVID cases, how well the hospital is able to manage what we have currently, and maybe what do you expect or anticipate, or what are others in the hospital expecting and anticipating in the coming weeks uh, with COVID cases? Based on science, right? Right. Everybody traveling, um, not following proper, um, you know, precautions to keep themselves safe saved i see that the cases will rise there's no there's right now there's no end in sight for this um even though they're starting to do vaccines it takes years for those to start to work i mean obviously we've got a little bit better staff to to take care of that kind of vaccine than we did back with my polio and that came out but um i i i just don't see an end near but i feel like the workforce that I'm in, we have, we are so resilient and we keep showing up. There's people who have to leave because they're sick. Um, you know, that's a hard question is what I see. Cause I don't have the crystal ball. I wish I did. Yeah. I just see that our hospital still has the ability to, to grow. Um, but nurses are getting burnout. People aren't wanting to come to work picking up extra shifts because of the burnout. We're losing a lot of staff um, due to that. And, you know, when I could say when I became a nurse, I didn't ever anticipate being in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Well, how long have um, you been nursing? I've been a nurse for six years. Six years. Um, But I feel like no matter what, like from as bad as it's going to get, I think it will just make us better and stronger. It's definitely a test for our resilience, but from the worst comes the best, right? So, yeah, well, we hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, I, if people don't change what they're doing, though, I don't see 
this getting any better. Um, and it's hitting home for a lot more people in the community once they see that their family members get, when their family members do get infected. Um, that's the hardest part yeah. is once they're there, they're there for a long time and basically like solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. Yeah. That's what we do for the worst prisoners, you know, send them to solitary. Right. So yeah, that that's, that's the, the hardest part about this is it's such a lonely disease and I wouldn't wish upon anybody. So that's another reason I agreed to come on this podcast was to help people understand that it's important and science is science and to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that really personally, when um, I decided to do some of these interviews is it was a few weeks ago, there was a nurse out of, um, I want to say South, South Dakota, and she was being uh, interviewed. Of, I think they picked up on a, some tweets that she had put out, but um, mm -hmm. she was just discussing uh, both in her twi tweets, but also in these interviews she did, I think on CNN and a few other places, but she was just explaining this strange phenomenon of having people um, dying from COVID and, you know, in the hospital beds and the ICUs that she's in and people just can't it doesn't sink in even when they're dying from this disease they just they can't it, it just goes up against everything that they believed up to that point so mm -hmm. you know i mean there's only so much people can do when you do trust in science and you do understand what's happening and and even just on this very personal level this anecdotal like you're expressing what you're experiencing and mm -hmm. there's so many other people i know that have experienced this as well and it's still there's still so many people that just aren't taking the proper precautions. And I don't know what else we can possibly do except just to communicate the information and hope that maybe there's some point, and that's really tragic, but that there's some almost some point where it really does sink in collectively um, to where we actually just listen to like nurses and doctors and healthcare workers and regards to how to deal with this crisis it's just it's very it's upsetting and i'm just sitting outside of it you know i've been doing my part somewhat to stay away and um trying to isolate myself and try to protect those around me um but it's just really heartbreaking to just see so many people that are being impacted by this this virus and especially just to see healthcare workers like yourself that are like you're bearing the brunt of the work and I just had to just articulate that to you just because that, that's where I'm coming from. It's just really mm -hmm. difficult to see this happening. Um, yeah, I just want to, I guess, ask, like, how are you doing? I mean, how is how are your fellow nurses and doctors, like, like uh, maybe on a more personal level? I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but just like... Well, I'll talk about all of it. You know, yeah. it's I'm an open book for the subject. Okay. It's, um, I think one word I can use to describe is I'm just mad. Mm -hmm. I'm mad at this, that how long it's taken, that people are still not paying attention. Um, um, there's still fear in me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a, we, as healthcare workers, we're under the microscope in health too. Yeah. You know, it's, I have several family members are for masks, several who are against, and that puts me in a very difficult position too. I mean, they're going to believe what they want. There's no way I'm going to change that, but that's not going to stop me from 
promoting it, um, promoting, you know, self-isolation and, and it's hard because I'm such a social person too. And thank goodness I get to go to work every day and I (laughs) get to be in that camaraderie of people who know what we're going through. I have several burnout buddies that, you know, (laughs) we're able to talk about people who, you know, you talk to some people and they're like, Oh, you're great. You're amazing. I can't believe what you do, but it's not that I, I, it's yeah. Yeah. It was rough. We barely got through the day. You know, it's, um, some of us are kind of disgusted with the term healthcare heroes because mm. yeah, it doesn't feel that way. We don't always feel like, I mean, we did the best that we could some days, but, um, at the end of the day, I know that it wasn't, the job that I could have done prior. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I did my best, but was it my best because of, right. because of the weight that we have on us there. Yeah. And with patients being in isolation and not being able to have that family advocate there with them every day, that's a lot more on our backs that we have to advocate for mm-hmm. this patient we're in their room, we're passing meds, you know, and a lot of times it's really hard to, to build that rapport, that relationship with your patient when you're so stretched. Yeah. So we try to make our time the best as possible, but you know, it, it, um, it's definitely hard. Yeah. Is it, I imagine there's that sense of camaraderie among Mm-hmm. your your fellow workers right i mean you're you're kind right. of in the trenches so to speak in this thing right there's yeah. you know we're all sick of it but it's what it is and it's what we're doing and and at the beginning you know it's like oh we went to school like we're nurses and we're gonna save people and yeah. we're doctors and we're we're here in the ICU and as soon as, you know, we hear about what's happening, it's like watching a big wave come from the East coast here, just mm-hmm. crashing down like the wave of COVID. That's all I could, how I could explain it. So we do our research. We try to figure out, Oh, what's drop. Let's learn more about droplet precautions, more about virology. And here as we're studying for this stuff, our quench, our thirst gets quenched from a fire hose of information. Uh, it's yeah. just so much is just beating on us. Every day, it's a new thing. Every day, a new policy. So, it's yeah. it's overwhelming on some days, and and um, but we still go. Yeah, <laughs> we're still there. Well, the thing that comes up for me is: is there anything? I mean, this has been um, going on for months now, probably since March, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. In this time, I mean, I'm sure you've had a lot of time to think about it and begin to process what's what's happening. But is there anything that like that was really surprising or extremely revealing to you about this? Things that maybe had come to you and and you're like like maybe in regards to like how the state or or the government, the nat- you know, the federal government or any of these other institutions have responded to this or how the public has responded. Has there been anything about this that has like surprised you? or has been really like revealing to you? Um, I'd say that the support at the, from our community at the beginning of all this was amazing. And we weren't really even the heat of it at that point. Mm-hmm. Like it had just started. And then we all got on lockdown, fizzled out for a little bit. And then I saw a good, exam- a, a good example of at the beginning, the amount of COVID 
and then the fear of COVID. Mm -hmm. And now it's the fear of COVID and COVID, right? Right. So people like reversed. Yeah. Um, so the supported community, I would say, shocked me that it's no longer there as much uh, mm. as I feel like it, it was before. People were taking it serious and now they're not. Mm. Um, and it, it's not that I don't want people to live in fear of it. I just want them to be respectful of, mm. of everybody. This is our community. This is all we have. If you know our locals are dying off, our businesses aren't going to stay you know, around and support. I don't know. That's one thing. Hmm. Um, definitely another shocking thing during all of this is actually seeing um, how our administration at the hospital deals with this. Hmm. Um, it, it would not be an easy job. I'm glad that I get to be a bedside nurse during all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom's also a nurse and she manages a, a, a clinical office and she says, oh, I can't do what you do. Well, I couldn't manage, I couldn't imagine managing, you know, 50 plus people in, who are in fear of coming to work every day and trying to help fill their bucket so they could come. Um, and, and also the government's response to it. I mean, it's, it's to the point, honestly, that I unfortunately have stuck my head in a hole to, to most of the public media because it's, it's too much. And yeah. I have to focus on myself and my patients and, and um, know how to treat them from what I know, because sure. it's all negative out there. Um, I, I can't even be on social media because of mm -hmm. the animosity. It's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. You mentioned you had family that's for masks and then those are against masks. And I mm -hmm. mean, do you have conversations with those that are against wearing masks? And, and if so, if, what would you say to them or what have you said to them about that? I have, um, I, it's a lot of it's the, well, you can't tell me what to do kind of right. attitude. Yeah. And, and so I've brought up, well, they also tell, so, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just collecting my thoughts here. You're good. So it's the no gun pro gun. So you want to keep your gun to protect your family, but you won't wear a mask to protect your family. Right. Like that's yeah. kind of a, that's mm -hmm. a right too. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. a right to not to wear the mask, be told what to do, but it's also a our right to keep our community safe. Yeah. Yeah. It's just trying to make those connections of, of how I think what's so challenging about this pandemic, about viruses in general, is that one, we can't see them, right? Obviously, we can see the impacts and effects of it, but it's often so, it seems like a very abstract threat. And so it's hard to take seriously sometimes. Um, but also just making that connection of like your individual actions or inaction has real potentially detrimental effects on those close to you. Absolutely. And that's something that I think, I mean, I'm just going to say particularly Americans, U.S. Americans tend to have a hard time with. And I know this is another problem in other countries as well. I don't want to just isolate it in the, on people in this country, but that just is something that I've observed. It's just a sort of obsession with individual rights and not really thinking it's about... America. You yeah. can't take away my right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... Mm -hmm. Actually, part of what I think of as, as actual freedom or, you know, protecting your freedoms is, is based in responsibility and having mm -hmm. responsibility for other people's well-being and health by just following really basic scientific 
guidelines, medical guidelines, you know. It's why we have speed limits. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's why, I don't know, if one thing, COVID's been a humbling, a humbling wake-up call as an ICU nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It gives me more time. It has taught me to give myself more time to reflect on what matters. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and it's unfortunate for those families who who had to go through that, ha- who've had to actually go through death of family members to realize that. Yeah. And I hope that I don't know. You can't always learn from other people's mistakes, but I hope that you know our United States in general will kind of swallow their pride a little bit and wear a mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you, um, what do you, I know we kind of touched on this a little earlier, but as far as this, what we anticipate is a surge of cases um, Mm -hmm. over the probably next few weeks or months. um, Do you sense, like, has there been anything that you can tell is going on in the hospital that you work in as far as preparing for that outcome? Um, Right. We have, we have opened up extra beds in our unit, but I mean, our hospital has been on diversion several times in the last few months to even the last couple days ago, we're so busy shuffling patients around to make room for more mm-hmm. that I feel sometimes that's a danger to the patients that are already there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have, you know, we have several surrounding hospitals in our community that have volunteered to take um, COVID overflow for us. Um, what I probably, I probably wouldn't be surprised if we'll actually have a, like a, we already have a COVID unit on our floor, like in our hospital, that's already had to overflow into our other, one of our other floors. We have three, a medical floor, a surgical floor, and the cardiopulmonary floor. Um, We've had to overflow some of those COVID patients down to the medical floor. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of our small rural hospitals around us ends up being a COVID COVID hospitals as well. Mm-hmm. Right now we're able to roll over some of our patients up to Boise, but we were to the point where, you know, we were full capacity. We can't take any more patients, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that's a scary thing to be able to not provide healthcare for somebody in their own town. And somehow that gets turned back on us. Like that's our fault, but yeah people need to take a little bit um, more responsibility in, in their own actions too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is really a, this is, this is really the kind of, I don't want to say worst case scenario, but it's coming up on that, which is what we were scared about from the very beginning of this, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about diversion, you know, moving patients to other hospitals, or other floors. I mean, at what point will it, like, you can't take, you say you can't divert patients to some other hospital because they're overflowing or they're at capacity. Right. And, and, and we have yeah. reached that. We've reached that point a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, our neighboring larger hospitals were all full. They weren't able to take any. And our next, our next patients, we were going to have to start to fly to like Washington. Wow. Yeah. So, <sighs> And that's taxing enough on families to have somebody in the hospital. I couldn't imagine if my grandma had, we were full and my grandma had to go to Wyoming or somewhere, you know? Yeah. No, that would be really like, really, really difficult. Um, And there's just that reality of like, that it is a contagious virus and, um, you know, you, you can't really visit them in the hospital. 
not really. Um, I mean, what's the what's the protocol for that actually? Like if someone's so infected, we, we've just barely started opening up for family members to see non-COVID patients. Mm-hmm. Um, the oh, okay. hardest, the hardest part about COVID, like you said, and we've discussed before, is the fact that there, there's no con, there's no contact. Yeah. Luckily for us, when our patients are in critical care, I don't know if it's lucky or not, but when they're in critical care, the the floor of our hospital has large windows. Family members can come to the window. Right now, not so much. It's winter. Like who's going to sit out there all day for their family member? And even at that point, there's such a disconnect to having visitors there because they're outside the room. They're talking on the phone. Um, I'm a huge advocate for physical touch as a healer. And these patients aren't hugging. They're not holding hands. They're not even just the tap on the back handshake from the son or the daughter, you know, the, the wife, the husband, patients get lonely. They get tired. They're tired of us telling them what to do every day. Okay. Now I'm going to give you this. Cause this is what's this again. And this is going to make you better poke after poke. They feel terrible and they're alone. And there's so many that just give up. They've mm-hmm. gone so long weeks and weeks and they give up and it breaks my heart and my heart is tired of that. And yeah, I'm like F COVID, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's a hell of a thing. And I, you just said that it, it's now they're opening it up to, to family visitation or, or visitors mm-hmm. can come when they don't have COVID. But I mean, I have a friend who <clears throat> was unable to see their sister, even though they had nothing to do with COVID. They just weren't allowed to visit because of the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic. Right. And their sister passed away. And they were unable to see her before she passed away. And it's just like, you imagine all the probably thousands of cases where something similar like that happens, not just with COVID, people that are dying from COVID or, or things related to COVID, but just people who just, because of the situation we're all in, we just can't yeah. visit, you know. Um, that's probably one of the most tragic things about this. I mean, I know this is a bit people depressing. Dying, people shouldn't have to die alone ever, ever. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that should be, I mean, I know that I think what's happening is people are so very uncomfortable with addressing their own mortality and the mortality of those around them. And um, I think that's what's actually created such a panic and a fear in people, which has forced them to almost go in two different, very different directions. For me, is how I look at it. They completely accept it and they're like, okay, let's do what we need to do to protect ourselves and our family and our friends and everything. And then there's the denial, which is what comes up when people are faced with something they can't really like psychologically integrate or understand. All right. They deny it and they put it away and then they get angry about it. And then they like Kubler-Ross's stage of grief. Yeah. Yeah. So many people. Yeah. And I just see that happening on this like mass scale and Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know. I mean, if I could reach anybody that's in that place, I'm like, just look and recognize that you are only on this planet for a certain amount of time and your family's only here for a certain amount of time. And the fact is, is that if somebody dies right now and is has gets COVID right now, you can't be with them when they die. And if you were to die from it, no one would be able to visit you while you were passing away. I mean, that's got a, that's an extremely potent and very sad thing, but it's just the reality of the situation we're in right now. 
And I, I mean, I can't imagine that. And I know it's very sad and I'm sorry to bring it to this place, but it's just, it's. Oh, it, it, I live it. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. I live yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they aren't my family members, but they're there for so long that you start building relationships with these patients and see the denial that their family goes through and then the anger that their family goes through and then, well, what if we this and that? And then, mm-hmm. then they're all sad. And then they finally, some hope, you know, most accept that it is what it is and they help or let their family member go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, a whole roller coaster of emotions every day. Every day. Yeah. That's probably so a, that's it's a... kind of like, how are we gonna get through this and what are we gonna do to you know, to keep mm-hmm. to keep the public you know, I wish that I could say the stories that happen every day at work. I wish that I could post that. But, you know, HIPAA, small town community. And, yeah. and you, you know, I, I wish that we had a bigger voice and, and we don't. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we don't stop saying, but the difference between, between, I don't know, the difference between, you know, managing it and coping with it are, are a lot different. Yeah, I think there's this, uh, that's a big part of your job is is just the kind of the grief, the grief that comes with this sort of profession and um, and in these sort of extraordinary circumstances that we're in right now, there's, there's a lot of it. And that's a big part of the work that you and other nurses and doctors are doing right now is just carrying the weight of those experiences, you know? Yeah, definitely changes the culture. It yeah. definitely changes the culture of, of the hospital and, and, um, and I just hope that, that we'll gain some sort of strength out of all of this. I mean, I already do feel like we're getting that way. I feel like our teams are stronger now than they were before. Um, the reach to help each other out is a lot better, but, and, and of course our doctor and nurse, uh, responsibilities, I feel like there's a lot more respect on that ground. Um, Mm -hmm. but I just hope that, that, uh, it continues to be this way. And I, I'd hate to see any more struggle because we're already stretched pretty thin and I, I'd hate to see it have to stretch any further. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you would, uh, you know, just if you, you know, wanted to tell somebody like, Hey, what, uh, what to do or like just some basic stuff. I mean, what comes up for you as far as addressing this crisis that we're in with this pandemic? Stop being selfish. It's not about you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's about the people around you. Um, Obviously, if you're sick, stay home, wash your hands, Mm -hmm. good hygiene, which is something that we should have been practicing far before a pandemic, right? Sure. Even if people were sick before this pandemic, don't come to work. You're sick. Um, People push it, push it too much, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just be respectful of other people's choices too. There's a lot of mask shaming. I've been shout at many times going to the grocery store by people, um, really? guilt, 
guilting for wearing masks, you know? Yeah. Um, it's uncomfortable to get used to, but it's my responsibility. I work in a COVID unit. Like I'm around it all day, every day. And how irresponsible would it be if I went to the grocery store without my mask on, yeah. you know, yeah. or if I decided to host Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, it's mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. um, it's hard. The hardest part, my grandparents live close. They live, they live in um, Kimberly, not far from where I live. And the hardest part of this pandemic is just thinking like, what if this is their last, this could be any of our lasts, right? This could be our, our last Christmas, our last Thanksgiving really for anybody. But I couldn't live with the guilt of, oops, I was accidentally carrying it and I didn't know. And, yeah. and they got it. Yeah. So keeping, yeah. there's other ways to keep in touch with people. If people are tired of being isolated, I mean, zoom, I can see your face right now. You know, mm -hmm. we zoom them, we write letters, we send pictures. I mean, there's, we drop off gifts. There's several ways to still be a human. Yeah. Well, I think that's, and I think that's, that's a big thing that people are forgetting is how to be a, a genuine human being. Yeah. And it's, it's, it seems very contradictory, but like, we're not going to get past this. I mean, I, I feel the isolation. Like I, mm -hmm. I do very few things where I, you know, put myself in public places and um where i'm around other people um that are not in my little bubble i guess but you know mm -hmm. i i'm tired of this you know i'm tired of it but I, I mean the reality is we're not gonna get past this phase where we have to do all this stuff unless we all kind of agree to do it and then we get through that part and then we can begin you know having some sense of like physical connection again you know where we can be in each right. other's spaces again so it's actually by resisting it that we're actually prolonging it. And it's just, it's the, it seems contradictory, but that's just the way it is, you know? Um, yeah. And so, I don't know. I just, I really just appreciate you for what you're doing. Um, I feel like the work of nurses and doctors and just the healthcare workers in general are, I'm, I'm seeing more and more media cover it, which is good. Um, but I do feel like the work you're doing has been unfortunately kind of invisibilized by to a great degree. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing more and more people recognize like how bad that really is, how not listening mm -hmm. to your people that are in your community that understand this really, really well and are experiencing it firsthand. You know, we have to, we have to trust that you're telling the truth because you're seeing it and you're experiencing it daily. Right. It's just, um, people yeah. get so, fixated on numbers oh well only yeah. one in blah 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 only this many people get sick mm -hmm. yeah but it they don't think about okay well what if what if that one was yours what if that one right. was your you know yeah. and then that's it then you just don't get to see him again yeah and i think it's also people have a hard time because they look at it like what less than one percent of people who get covid die or some, I don't know what the statistic is now, but um, people don't... That's still a large number. It is, yeah. Right? I mean, right now, what is it? Over 250,000 people have died in the U.S. with, you know, less than a year of having right. this. So it's way more it than the flu. it may not be they die from COVID. It may not be, I mean, they may have had it and that was just the cherry on the cake, you know? That's mm -hmm. just the, the 
the thing that pushed it over. Yeah. All my analogies there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I'll just, I'll just, I think it's tied to this. It's like people have a hard hard time looking at it systemically. Like if you have a certain number of people that are going into the hospitals all at once, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just sort of debilitates and makes it, makes the system work a lot less efficiently and it debilitates. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it is less than 1% of the population that is, has really severe cases of it. Um, but that's not the point. It's, it's what our hospital systems are capable of of dealing with. These patients are, are very, um, it's hard. You have to don and doff your PPE going into each room. You have to make sure that you have everything that you need when you go in. Um, and it's not like if the call light goes off, we can just walk right in and get to them and step out real quick and go to the other call light. It's, you know, you have to be safe practice of getting in and getting out and, and, um, and they're lonely, you know? And so Mm -hmm. you don't want to be in there only for five minutes. You're all, we're all they really have in there as far as human interaction. And, and once in our hospital, once they get to a certain level, um, up on the cardio floor, the nurses come in once a day, they give meds and everything else is over telemedicine. So not even people coming in to help. So Mm. I can't imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be kind of the theme of our discussion here is just the, the kind of loneliness of it. It seems like, right. You know, and the depression that comes with it. And, and, um, I mean, I'm sure PTSD is sure for everybody, for the patients. Absolutely. But, you know, we'll definitely end up with some PTSD from this too. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that that's a conversation that we should be having too. You know, this is a huge burden that you and others are bearing. So, um, yeah, Amy, I just thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm just some, you know, <laughs> just some guy. You probably like, I don't know who this guy is or what he does, you know. Um, but I'm glad that my sister could help set this up. And um, Absolutely. She's a great lady. So I said, oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, Jamie. <laughs> I appreciate that you're doing this. This is yeah. um, just another voice for us. And, yeah. and I really appreciate for the outlet yeah, for that. Of course. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And it's great to meet you. Thank you, Amy. You're welcome.